compel us to go out. Lord, we are your kingdom people who have been called together by your kingdom power to display your kingdom glory. Help us to be instruments in the hands of our gracious Redeemer. Lord, help your word change our very image as we lean into you, Lord. I, 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 I pray right now for the distraction of my own heart, for the distractions of what might be going on in this room. I pray for um, people here who do not yet know you. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you in the word and in communion and in just celebration, that it would be your sweet aroma people would smell. Lord, that, that, that because you have brought your presence in this place, because you are conforming us into the image of your son, that we would just not only see and, and, and experience, but reveal your very glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is filled with your glory. Let us have eyes to see. Let us have ears to hear. We are a blessed people because we are yours. That didn't start 10 years ago and it's not going to end today. You are telling a story, Lord. A story of your glory. But we are privileged to be part of it. As you tell it to us and through us. So Lord, do that now as we worship you in the word. Reveal to us wonderful things in your law that we might know you more. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Open up your Bibles to Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 9 today. Nehemiah, again, if you need a Bible, uh, just raise your hand. There's somebody who can put one in there, as uh, Jeff had already mentioned. Um, but one of the things I wanted to, um, I'm, I'm going to mix in sort of the anniversary stuff. We're not done talking about some of the, and reflecting on God's faithfulness in our past here. But it's going to just kind of get mixed into God's story in the book of Nehemiah that we're in. We've been in this book now for six weeks. This is our seventh week, Lord willing. We will wrap it up next week. And what we saw last week was we saw how revival had come to God's people. Now what is revival? What is revival? Glad you guys were listening last week. What isn't revival? Do anybody remember what I said last week? What? Not the whole country getting saved. Revival does not come to the United States of America. It comes to God's people. Unfortunately, what we have done is we, we, think, of as, we think of revival as, as more morality. That's how we measure whether revival is coming or not. Revival is, and what Kara shared in her time of sharing was so perfect for, for, for the, the point of revival. Revival is more of Christ. Revival is pressing in and leaning into the image of Christ that his glory might be revealed through you. Now, how does that happen for us? What did, what, I'm not making this up. I mean, you've heard several men get up here and talk about like, the importance of being in God's word. Because we saw it last week. How did revival come to God's people in Nehemiah's time? Through the word of God. Right, so Nehemiah comes to the town and, 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 he, and he rallies the people and we've seen all that. And we've seen how the Spirit is, has worked through God's people and they rebuild this wall in miraculous time. And because they've seen God work, just like we've seen God work in the 10 years of Cornerstone, all, they're like, man, 
we need to know this God more. So they ask Ezra to bring the word, and they start reading the word, and they're standing all day, and they're reading the word. And, they're, and so when this day goes long, and it will, guys, just remember what you read last week and this week. They actually stood for half a day and listened to the word being read. So going a little over time is just how the church is frankly supposed to be. Honestly, because like, like what the glorious mess that you've already seen this morning, minus all the issues we've had with the sound, has, is what the early church did if you read the letters in the New Testament. Right? It was, it was this spirit-led, spirit-directed, like walking out of here every Sunday going, Karen, I pray this, every Sunday as we're driving in, Lord, let us leave here going. That is not exactly how I saw that going down. But it's way better than we would have planned it. Right? But that means you've got to leave a little room. And so as we talk about revival and how the word of God is what brings revival, even in Nehemiah's time, it's not just the New Testament time, we need to reflect on, like in our own lives, is that what we see happening in our lives? Is, do we see ourselves being revived by this very word of God? Now I'm going to teach a little differently today, not only because I'm working in some of the anniversary stuff, but because as I mentioned a few weeks ago, this this part of this letter is what's called a historical narrative. It's just, it's God through Nehemiah moving God's story forward. So I don't feel like I have to read every word to you. One, because it's a historical narrative. And two, because, oh, by the way, you read it this morning already, right? So I'm going to teach it, because it's part of, it was today's daily reading. I'm going to teach it like you've already read it. And that absolves me from doing what I would normally do, which is verse by verse going through the chapter. What we're going to look at today is after this revival comes, how, did God's, how do God's people respond to that? So today's message is entitled, Responding to Grace. Responding to Grace. And the big idea today is, that you're going to walk out of here with, Lord willing, is how should God's people respond to God's grace? How should God's people respond... And, Respond to God's grace. And that's what we're going to see here in, in, this, in these two chapters, actually, that I'm going to teach parts of today. And what we're going to see is that God telling his story, not just to, but through his people, leads them into a connected accountability and an increased commitment to kingdom things. And that's what we're going to look at today in the time that I get to have. So with that, we're going to jump in and look at how should God's people respond to God's grace by looking at the first point, God telling his story to and through his people. And we're going to pick it up in the first, first verse of chapter 9. It says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and, and with earth on their heads. Guys, do you remember what this month is was from last week? It was the seventh month. And in the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, big deal. They had the, the um, Trump Feast of Trumpets, the, the Day of Atonement, and then they had the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and so when they, when they have Ezra open up the word, and oh, by, in God's providence, it happens to be on the Feast of Trumpets, and then they start reading this word for 24 days, it has convicted them, it has revived them. They have actually gone, okay, we need to start living our lives for this God, and that's where we find ourselves now. Look at, look at verse 2. And the Israelites separated themselves from the foreigners, and, and this, is, this is how one of the ways we respond when we hear of God's goodness in our lives and, the, and his faithfulness to us. They confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And I talked about how 
revival, the first step in revival, you, you read God's word, it convicts you, and you repent. We want to skip those two things, conviction and repentance, because we want the, we want the revival that is the, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yes, we do. I do too. But you don't get there without the conviction and repentance piece. And so, they, so they, this is where they are. It says, and the iniquities of their father, and in verse 3, and they stood in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their, the, for the quarter of the day, for another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. That is a church service. Now, guys, but, but, my, but look at what he says there in verse 3. They stood in their place and read from the book of the law. This was not just their idea. This was reading God's truth. God's truth is where the power is. It's why, as John mentioned, that's like, like, yeah, we want to, you know, the, the whole, was it Francis of Assisi or Assisi or whatever, we said to, you know, preach the God all the time and when necessary use words. Not a huge fan, like John said, right? Because I, I understand what he meant by that. It's, yeah, like, like live, live out the gospel. If all you're doing is speaking out the gospel and your life doesn't reflect it, be quiet, please. Like, seriously. Because you're, you're not really preaching the gospel then. But we do have to actually, because this is where the power is. Bring God's word to bear into the conversations you're having. So with that, I want to invite up Jeff, because we have always been, for the 10 years that we've been here, from the first Saturday night we met at the Circle of Peace Church, we started reading, we, we taught, I taught through two messages in Ephesians, I taught through the book of Nehemiah, and we have always been a church that was going to be committed to teaching God's word. And he's going to share a little bit about that now. So as Doug said, the power doesn't come from the eloquence of the speaker, but it comes from the eloquence of the author. Right? We have to remember that. I'm just going to read something. Before you put the slide up here, before you put some slides, I'm going to read this. This is from Exodus. So God's only ever told one story the whole time. But from Exodus 15, verses 17 and 18, if you want to make a note, you can read it yourself later. This is what it says, thou wilt bring them and plant them in the mountains of thine inheritance. The place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thy dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. That was an exodus. As his people are walking, we are no different and we are still walking. We're going from one place physically to another, but it's all based upon what God's done. So where we've been over the last 10 years, it's important not to dwell on looking back, but to count on God's faithfulness. 10 years ago, as we sit and talk, we would not, as I said to John, we would not have seen ourselves here today in these positions doing the things that the Lord has called us to do. We would not have seen that, right? And yet every single one of you has a story that's based on where God had you at a time and where God's taking you in the future. So for the first slide, take a look at the ways that we've infused a story of the cross into people's lives. We have done series going through God's word. We've had two summer series on selected psalms, various holiday series for each Christmas and Easter season. If you've been a part of that, amazing. We've done the discipleship toolkit passages, now on its fifth evolution, three and a half. I can't wait till we're saying to everybody in the world, uh, hey, you should take a look at this. You should take a look at this. We walked through the whole Bible narrative in a chronological format in 2016 because that's where God's power is. We did the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. We've had other series of the witness, the journey with Jesus, experiencing God, and then recently walked through the parables of Jesus. 
Now the next slide, we see that the word of God is where the power is. These are the full books that we've unpacked to unleash God's power. Look at this. Genesis, full book of Genesis. Full book, 1st and 2nd Samuel. Job, Nehemiah, twice we're in now. Isaiah, Daniel, Jonah. We've done gospel walkthroughs of Mark and John as we properly cross-train ourselves to get ready, thinking long-term. And the third slide, that there's only ever been, only ever will be one story. It's told about the love of God for a people that walked away that he always knew he would always get back. From Genesis to Revelation, the Old Testament and New Testament, they come together at the cross of Christ. You have to get that. The cross of Jesus, Acts 1 through 4, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, twice. Colossians, 2nd Timothy, 1st Peter, James, Revelation, and then Revelation 1 through 5 as a summer series in 2017. Why do we spend time looking back? So that we count on God's faithfulness looking forward. Only when we become a people and stay a people that's anchored into God's word. Not first, but first, foremost, and last. We will always, and I would encourage you as an elder, if you see anybody in leadership walking away from the supremacy of scripture, you call us out on that. We are a people that are about God's word for God's glory. Amen? Thank, thank you, Jeff, for that. Yeah, it, 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 one, I mean, I, like even when I see that list, I go, wow, that's a lot of God's word that we've covered. And, and yet we'll never plumb the depths of it. But we, we want part of why we teach the way we do here in one, teaching God's word faithfully verse by verse, but also trying to do it in a, in a pace that's fairly rapid is because we want, we want God, we believe that God's people knowing the whole counsel of God makes us better equipped for the mission. Right? And so we, rather than deep diving into pieces of scripture and pulling out all the little nuances, we would rather see God's overarching story. And yet stay true to what his story is and not interject ourselves into it. And so that's part of what we try to, that's part of what we try to do here. So I'm going to keep going in this passage so we keep moving along in, in, this, in this story of how, does, how, do, how do God's people or how should God's people respond to God's grace. Well, one, when they, when they see his story, it's going to move them. Here's what it moves them to do. In, in the next section of, of Nehemiah, in fact, almost the rest of the chapter, there's one of what's called like the great prayers of the Bible. There are at least three of them in the Old Testament. In Ezra chapter 9, in Daniel chapter 9, and in Nehemiah chapter 9. And then there's one that I really love in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is getting stoned to death. And all four of these prayers do the same thing. They mark out the history of God's story. And so if you look at verse 6, so this is their response to grace. It says, you, O Lord, you alone, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you, per, and you persevere, or, and you, I'm sorry, and you preserve all of them. And the hosts of heavens worship you. It's all his, not just here, not just cornerstone, not just plant, it's all, all of creation is his. You are the Lord, verse 7 says, the Lord who chose Abraham, who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and who gave him the name Abraham. You found, you found his heart faithful before you. Guys, here, and he goes through and he keeps going. And like I said, you've already read it, so I'm not going to. But he's telling God's story. Here's the thing, though, guys. If you are in Christ, if you're his, and 
Frankly, I say in my own testimony, prior to me coming to Christ, as the Holy Spirit was working in my life, drawing me to Christ, guys, your story is his story. And his story is yours. History is just his story. There is nothing that happens on this planet, there's nothing that happens in your life that is not first filtered through a completely sovereign father. And we have to grasp that. God is not up in heaven going, what am I going to do now that the United States of America is being run the way it's being run? He is not shaken. And we will not be either. Because as we look back at his story in the Bible and in our church's history, it gives us confidence to go, we can look forward. And so with that, we're going we're gonna to watch a video. And by we, I mean me too, because I haven't seen it yet either. We're going to watch a video that one of my daughters put together that I think talks about all 10 years of the church's history. So, go.
Yeah, amen. We are applauding the faithfulness of God, and um, I only watched part of it because I knew I wouldn't be up here without crying otherwise, so I only cried a little. I'll watch, I'll watch the whole thing in earnest later, but um, guys, God is a faithful God, and he has always, always, always worked through his faithful remnant, right? It's, it, it has never been about a building. It's never been about building up Cornerstone. It has always been about people because that's what God is about. That's who he is, right? He is a God who literally died to have relationship with us because he is a relational God. And God's story is this story of our ongoing rebellion and rejection. And by our, I mean God's people throughout history. Our ongoing and rebellion and rejection and his never-ending, pursuing, unrelenting grace and if you look at the rest of the chat or this chapter, I'm just just look at verse 16. So this is Nehemiah's prayer. Or, yeah, Nehemiah's prayer. He says, "And they and and they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They were they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt." So this is talking about like what we're reading through in our D groups right now in um, as we're going through the Old Testament and we're reading through Exodus. He says, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, and you did not forsake them. As you see like this, this like they were rebellious, they were stiff-necked, they would not listen, they didn't have faith, they started to worry, they became anxious. And it doesn't say, and so you just kicked them to the curb and never talked to them again. Now, there are points in here where it says, and so you disciplined them, and you keep going in some of those, and, and we have experienced that here as well, as the, as the Holy Spirit has moved us in different ways. I, I love these lights when they come back on. That's the Holy Spirit. Woo! Um, but, but we want to look back, just like Nehemiah is taking them through, in order to see his faithfulness in the lives of people so that it would give us the strength to move forward not in our strength when i look at those when i look at those pictures when i look at the pictures that are on the on the back we dug up our toolkit um or our time capsule last night in our backyard it it's more or less ruined by the elements in the water it wasn't as waterproof as we had hoped but even there as we're sitting there going oh man it's a bummer these pictures got ruined one of the McAllister kids says but it's just a glorious mess it's like that's who we are we're just a, it, it wouldn't be us if it was perfect Right? And so, but take some time as we're having our meal together and look at those pictures, cards that we wrote on your table. There are cards. Um, there are white cards and pens. Um, we want to invite you to, to write a little note about what your hopes and dreams are for the next 10 years until the Lord, if the Lord tarries, and put them um, in the offering box on your way out so we can add them to the time capsule. And we're going to put it all back together in the next couple weeks and we're going to bury it again. So, to, but share some of your story. How have you been impacted? How have you seen God work in your life? How are you hoping to see him work in the future? Because ultimately, as we share those, that's, that's why we make room now for people to come up and share what's going on in their lives, for Julia to share what's going on in her life, is because as we hear evidences of grace in the life of people, God, who sometimes honestly just seems so distant, moves right into our space. But we have to make space for him. And that's what we're trying to do in this thing we call the glory, this glorious mess. Over and over again, through the rest of the chapter, you just sort of see this, like, dichotomy of our rebellion, God's people rebelling, 
God pursuing. God's people rebelling, God pursuing. And that is still going on today. But guys, it gets better. Here's why it gets better. Because like that picture that Jeff showed about the Old Testament and New Testament coming together at the cross of Christ, we, now we are new covenant believers. We are, we are under a new covenant. And here's, here's how it gets better. Not only does God show himself strong, not only is God faithful to us, God calls you friend. That's a New Testament thing. Do you remember in Matthew 28 when, when the women find, when Matthew 28 when the women see the, the empty tomb and they're kind of freaking out and Jesus is there? Do you remember what he says? He says to the women, he says, "Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me." Because he wasn't, "Hey brother, how you doing?" That's not what he meant. He literally meant, "Brother." He now calls you brother and sister. Do you understand? If Jesus is God and He is. And he calls you brother and sister, and he does. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit work on you in that. And then in John 15, he actually says, he says, you know what? I don't call you slaves. You're not slaves anymore, guys. You're no longer like these Old Testament slaves. Because a slave doesn't know what God is doing. You know what I'm doing. Because I've called you friend. Guys, we read that and we go, that's awesome, God likes me. It's like, it's like yeah, you're my friend. Yeah. And just like, let that soak in your spirit a little bit. You are a friend of God. Like he passionately pursues you. Yeah, but Doug, you don't know what I did this weekend. Or you don't know what, you know, you don't know, I haven't, I haven't been reading the word. Every, guys, God passionately pursues you. He died for the messed up you. He didn't die for some future better version of yourself. But we, we, we let the enemy, we let each other convince ourselves of that. Guys, there is grace here. So, again, back, so back to our question. How should God's people respond to God's grace? Well, one, when God is telling his story to and through people, it should increase our, I'm sorry, it should... Um, what should it do? I'm all, I'm all confused now about where I'm at. It, it should increase our connected commitment to one another. Because God is so relational, he, he not only wants this relationship, and unfortunately in the West, this is what we've, we've turned, our, in Western church, we've turned our relationship with Christ into this very individualistic thing. Guys, God's relationship with his people has always been familial. I didn't say familiar, I said familial. Family. It has always been family. And, and yet what we've done in Western society, because we're very, especially in the Western part of the United States, because we're sort of that rugged West, everybody's an individual, the marble man, we have made our relationship with Christ only about this. Guys, what we're experiencing today, what we experience in our D groups, what we, guys, that is God at work. That is Christianity. The gospel is a community creating event. Here's what I mean by that in our the second point only has one verse. My second point is only verse 38. He says, because of all of this, because of all of your faithfulness, because of all you've shown yourself strong in, it says, we are making a covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, 
our Levites, and our priests. Guys, we are not only, as Christians, we are not only saved from judgment, but we are saved into a family. That is just biblical. I'm not going to teach on the importance of the church. I've done that a lot. I did it the first two sermons in 2021. I've done it, I've done it multiple times here. But we have got to understand that the church matters much to Christ. I wrote this down so I wouldn't mess it up. Guys, if the church is what Christ is doing on the earth, and the church is what he died for, and the church is what he's coming back for, then being relationally, dare I say, covenantally connected to a church helps keep us connected to Christ. Because this, that is what, what they're describing here. They're saying because of your faithfulness, God, because of how you've shown yourself strong, we are going to put our names in writing that we will follow you. Now, here's what that looks like for us. We talked about this a couple weeks ago at our, at our family gathering. I think I even mentioned it um, last week. But on your table, I think, yeah, I have a, I, um, on your table, there are these connect cards. Everybody grab one. If you need one, raise your hand and somebody will put, just everybody grab one. There should hopefully be enough. It depends on what table you're at. But everybody, everybody grab one if you need one. Um, wherever you are, Mark, I need you to hop, have somebody on your team hop up and get some extras. We should have extras. But, um, on this, the table talk question that I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think about is, which is in your bulletin, it says, take a few minutes and look at these seven questions that are on this connect card. Guys, the goal of, the, well, as, what, as what we talk, if you, need, if you need one of these cards, raise your hand. If your table is short some, raise your hand. Guys, I'm, here's what I'm asking, here's what we, the, the leadership, are asking you to do. We're asking you to fill this out, and if, and if you want to fill it out and turn it in today, put it in the offering box today, that's great. If you want to wait and talk some more about it later, you can certainly do that as well. Guys, this is not a ticket into the kingdom of God. This is not even a ticket into Cornerstone Church. This is about God's people. In chapter 3, we saw this list of names. In chapter 7, we see this, of Nehemiah, we see a list of names. We're going to see... Right here in chapter 10, we're going to see a list of names. In chapter 11, there's a list of names. In chapter 12, guess what? There's a list of names. Why? Because God cares about who's in. Now you say, wait a minute, Doug. God already knows who's in. Yeah, I know he does. He cares that we know who's in. He cares that we care about being relationally connected to other people. Guys, it's the difference between getting married and just living together. One is a real connection, or at least it used to be, marriage. The other is, you know what, I'm just going to hang out here until I don't like it anymore and I'm out. And that's what even marriage, sadly, has become. And sadly, that is also what church attendance has become. So, but here's what we're asking, for, and this is why we, des we developed this sheet this way. These questions are really to help all of us, and I'm saying this on purpose, not, I'm filling one out too, all of us to figure out where are you on this journey with Jesus, and how can we together help each other move forward on this journey with Jesus. That's what this is about. I said, it's not a ticket into Cornerstone Church. It's not a, well, unless you fill out the card, you, we're not really going to help you out with X, Y, and Z. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with saying, who's with us, 
And where are they? Like spiritually. And how can we work together to move forward? Because we have got to get more serious about the mission. Guys, if, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that time is short and things are uncertain and we are committed to doubling down on training people to teach the truth of God's word. But part of that is we got to kind of know where everybody's at. So take a minute right now at your table, fill it out at whatever level you feel comfortable with, and if nothing else, just think about the answers to the questions. I'm going to give you a minute to do that since we're already over time. You can talk about it too if you'd like. Like I said, even, I mean, even if you're just, I mean, we have some dear friends here from our Calvary days um, and from our West Valley days. And so, like, like, but guys, these questions are not, like, cornerstone questions, right? Now, yeah, on the back of the paper, it does tell you this is, what, this is a summary, like the, the Cliff Notes version of what we believe, our statement of faith, so that you kind of see what your, what your church believes. But, guys, every, everybody in here, I mean, I, whether you turn this thing in at the end of the day or next week, or never, because maybe you're not even, you're just here visiting today. Because everybody in here should hunger. I mean, I, I would pray, in fact, I'm just going to pray right now, that the Holy Spirit would give each of us a hunger to answer yes to all of these questions. Because this is what a mature disciple of Christ looks like. So let me pray to that end. Father, I just thank you. Um, I thank you for the truth that, that just like your Spirit moves on our hearts to regenerate us, to make us a new creation, and then you seal us so that we will never lose our salvation in Christ, and then you gift us so that we can serve and build up the body, your spirit also, your word tells us, fits us together. Like there's no accident about who's here today. There are only divine appointments. And so Lord, I pray that you would Help us all to hunger to fit in. That you would help us all to want to not only be connected to you, but to be, connect, to be relationally connected to the body of Christ. For that is what you're coming back for. Lord, move on our hearts as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen.
here's the thing about what we see in Nehemiah. When, he, when they talk about what's going on here, and, and you know, they have this revival, and now they're looking at what's, what God's story is, and they're saying, guys, it is, it is easy, it is easy to feel convicted. Like, what happened to them, they felt convicted. It's easy to feel convicted. Here's why Nehemiah takes the step that he takes, and we're going to see him take it again here in chapter 10. Here's, here's why he takes the step. It takes commitment to be connected. It's easy to be convicted. It, it just, like, ah, man, I shouldn't have done that, or oh, yeah, the word shows me that. It's, it takes commitment to be connected. And commitment is not a word we like very much in our country anymore. But your church, this church, is going to be about being committed and connected. Right? Not for our glory, but for his. So, how do people, God's people respond to grace? We, first of all, we, um, by God telling his story to us and through us causes us to want to be accountable, like account, connected account, in, in accountability with other people. And then the last thing is, it increases our commitment to kingdom building. Here's the big why behind all of it. Is how should God, how should we respond to being graced of God? The answer is give your life away. The answer is don't live for yourself. The answer is realize that the moment you came to Christ, you stepped into something unimaginably bigger than your little life and problems. And jump into it and start running with him. Like, like start running with Christ, on mission with Christ, and watch and see what he does in your life. Guys, I, I've shared this before. The, the last 10 years have been the best of times and the worst of times. There are pictures on that table that I still can't look at. But here's the thing. Whatever things I consider gain to me, I count loss to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, to be found in him. Not under any righteousness of my own, but the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, Paul tells me. That this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, me and my family are going to press on. But here's why. Here's the why. Because it's what's making us who we are in Christ. I would trade none of it, honestly. And neither should you. Run. Run this race with endurance. Run with us. Run with him. And watch and see what he does. Guys, I want to invite Jeff back up because you're going to get tangible evidence. We're going to kind of wrap up the message time, and we're still going to have our time of response. But you're going to, we're, we're going to, you're going to get tangible evidence of what it looks like to step up and answer the call. Because what we're doing is we are installing several new leaders into positions today. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Today we're going to do it. It's, it's a green piece of paper on your table. You can take a look at who these guys are. It's got all of our contact information on it. Um, those are also available on the Connect table. But guys, here's what I want you to get out of this. Outside of just a genuine appreciation for these men and their wives that are willing to step up and become a bigger target for the enemy, here's what I want you to understand. This, what you're about to see, is what it looks like to give your life away. Because every one of these men... Every one of these wives and every one of these families is just as busy and just as, like, their lives are just as out of control. Guys, do not think that what you're about to see up here is a whole bunch of people that got their act together so they had time to serve Christ. Yeah, I know Mark's like, 
right? It's, it, it, that isn't it. The only difference between them and those that are not up here is their willingness to go, you know what, if, to respond to grace. If Christ died for me, how could I not step in and help lead his bride? What an amazing way to walk into this part of our service. So you may say to yourself, why all the fanfare? Why the massive buildup in God's word about God's word? Maybe you're not saying that. Hopefully you're not saying that because God's word is worthy of the buildup, right? Why the buildup in front of the church body to really point out who these leaders are? And why am I going to spend time doing this? Because I'm going to. It matters. I'm going to read you some scripture that really matters. Listen. This is out of Exodus 18, verses 19 through 21. This is Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. When Moses was besieged by people all day long, help me, help me, help me, I have a problem, you should solve it. You're Moses. Here's what Jethro says. Now listen to me, I shall give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative for God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make note of them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it talks about qualifications for elders. It also talks about, and you can read this yourself. I'm just going to call um, your attention to a couple different things. In verses 8 through 13, also talks about deacons and ministry leaders. Deacons and ministry leaders. And I want you, you can make a note for yourself, but I want you to understand that there is a spot here in Scripture for that in the New Testament as well. And he talks about, it's a trustworthy statement, Paul writes, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so they may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they're beyond reproach. In Acts 6, it also talks about verses... 2 through 4, and then verse 6, there is a time that we are called to lay our hands on these leaders and commission them, and there's a place for that. And I want to read you some of these. I'm just going to read you, actually, as I go back in my Bible to where it was located. I have a study Bible that talks through this, and I couldn't have said it better because it brings out the Scripture behind the message. Laying on of hands. We're going to do this in a second here as I call up different people. The laying of hands has great significance as a religious rite or ceremony in the Bible. This rite is associated with the bestowal of divine blessings upon a person. 
And it's also used as a special form of recognition to set apart those called in leadership. Abraham and other patriarchs placed hands on their descendants to confirm a birthright or to convey a special blessing as when Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. The ceremony sometimes implied the transfer of authority. Joshua was said to be filled with the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands upon him. The laying of hands apparently served as a formal declaration of identification by the church at Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, whom they sent on as missionaries. The same sense of identification with sacrificial animals as a substitute for the people may be implied in the burnt offerings presented by priests. The apostles laid their hands on the sick and on newly baptized people. There also appears to be a connection between the laying on of hands and the reception of the Holy Spirit. The Levites were consecrated to service by the laying on of hands. In the New Testament, the practice is associated with the ordination of deacons and ministers and the setting apart of missionaries for divine service. So you see, there is scriptural authority to why we do the things we do. There is scriptural joy in what we are going to see next. So I'm going to call up separate groups of people. We are going to install interim elder advisors today. We are going to install deacons today. And we are going to install new ministry leaders today. And you may say to yourself, wow, that's a lot of people. And if you've seen the green sheet that my gracious wife put together, on front and back is your church leadership that God put in place. And you may say again, that's a lot of people. You're right, because the work is great. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So we would pray then to be workers go out in the harvest. And we're seeing the celebration of what happens when a people of God multiply in relationship and discipleship into one another for the glory of God alone. He then takes that and magnifies himself through those people. So with that, and believe me, that was only half what I wanted to read. I'm going to call up some people, and I'd like them to, well, come up. Here we go. Make stuff settle here. John Morris. Where you at, John Morris? John Morris, R.J. Key, Brian Johnson. John Morris, R.J. Key, Brian Johnson, please come up here. These are the three men that opened our service with their gospel moment, their training moment. And it is not any less significant that you all understand what happened up here to begin and how we are ending. These men are the righteous byproduct of what God has poured into their lives through the privilege I've had and Doug and many other men have built into these men. It's important you understand that the role of an elder is one that consists of mission, vision, and values, and understanding direction of, of church and, and, and philosophy of where the Lord has us. It also has to do greatly with relationship building and discipleship. So as we can, I'm going to read something here in a minute, but remember, continue praying for these men, who as interim elder advisors also fulfill their other leader roles in finance, in hospitality, and in compassion. Do you need to hear some of this? I'm going to read this to you. Whereas the board of elders of this church called Cornerstone Church have called John Morris, R.J. Key, and Brian Johnson as a minister of the gospel and elder shepherd. And whereas the board of elders function as a governing board of Cornerstone Church of Glendale, Arizona, 
a duly incorporated Arizona nonprofit corporation, met on the 11th day of February 2021 in the city of Glendale and given prayerful and close attention to the character and qualification of these men being called, as well as to the duties and responsibility. Be it resolved that the Board of Elders does hereby approve the call of John Morris, Brian Johnson, and R.J. Key, effective the 28th day of February 2021. And be it further resolved that the Board of Elders does hereby ordain, hereby ordain John Morris, Brian Johnson, and R.J. Key as ministers of the gospel and acting elder shepherd advisors, and hereby confers and invests with Cornerstone Church the authority to conduct religious worship, perform sacerdotal functions, to administer the ordinances within the prescribed tents and practices of the church, and to administer and maintain this religious body, and be it finally resolved that this ordination shall continue in full force and effect until June 30th, 2021, or dismissal by the Board of Elders, at which time the special and temporary designation as advisor will be evaluated and determined to be removed, extended, or terminated in its entirety. It's important you understand that. So for these men, this is their decree. These are your new interim elder advisors. Now, the next group of people, the deacons, and I, I wish I had a headset. It'd be a lot easier. Here, you can help with this. Yes, thank you, sir. Everything I read was intentional because I'm not going to read the same thing again, but I'm going to show a couple differences, a couple differences. Whereby the Board of Elders of the Church of Cornerstone have called and get ready. Josh Edwards. Brian Shields. Mark McCoslin, those three as deacon and servant leaders. So with everything I just read, all of the same thing apply. Apparently, we're putting you behind over there. Yes, line up. Line up, you. Need to understand that there is a difference. Scripture does call that difference I read in 1 Timothy. As a deacon and servant leader, we hereby convert and invest with Cornerstone Church the, organ, the authority to organize and lead ministry in the church with their primary areas of ministry for Josh being audio, for Brian being security, and for Mark being the connection ministry up front. And with further duties to administer the ordinances within the prescribed tents and practice of the church, to administer and maintain this religious body through the service and shepherding, to serve on behalf and at the discretion of the elders this appointment shall continue in full force and effect until terminated by death. Really want to point that out. Or dismissal by the elder board. It's important you understand. It is important you understand that when God calls these men to roles, these permanent roles are exactly that. That's how we see scripture play out. Lastly, where's my secretary? I got this. Q line. The last group of people I'm going to call up are ministry leaders. Now, these are men that have walked into roles that are previously yet untouched in our church, that have stepped into roles that we have wanted to, to be involved with for a long time. I'm going to call these men up. These are your ministry leaders. Adam Griffin. 
Scott McAllister, is he working today? Scotty's working today, but Scott's part of this group too. Sean Simpson. These three men, let me read to you what's going on here. These ministry servant leaders, they are going to function in the same manner. That's why I read about deacon and ministry leaders. They function in the same manner and conferred for a time of testing just as deacon Woods, uh, deacon, deacons would. So Cornerstone hereby converts and invests the authority to organize lean ministry in the church with the primary area for Adam Griffin being in family ministry for Brian Shields, where's, for, I'm sorry, for, I'm looking there, Scott McAllister for the engage ministry and for Sean Simpson in the facilities ministry. So these three men then will be having oversight in those areas. So, now apparently I can hand these out myself. Good. Adam, take the top one. Sean, take the bottom one. Hashtag need a secretary. That's all right. You're, you're good to go. I'd like to invite the wives of these men to come up here as we are going to lay hands on these men and women because you're silly if you think that it's not a team effort. The wives are equally invested. And let me tell you, in conversations that Doug and I have had with these men, we've also had them with their wives. And I know, I can tell you very honestly, that it is a team decision. And when you see men and women here walking into what is a, just a guaranteed, a guaranteed struggle in ministry, willingly, we owe them our thanks. But more importantly, God has credentialed them at this time and this place for this moment. So, Doug is going to lead us in a prayer. And I'd like to invite all the lead team up with us now. All the lead team come up here. That should leave two or three of you left sitting. All the lead team and their wives. Stephanie McAllister, where are you? There you go. T. McAllister. Take a look, everyone. With the exception of Scotty, who's serving our community as a firefighter right now, these men and women, Doug and I have had the privilege to watch grow, develop, and love, and walk worthy with for a long time. And I would encourage you, if you have any questions at all, at any time, about what it means to serve honorably in God's kingdom, you ask any one of us, anyone you see up here, you ask, and you hold them to the same standards of elevating God's word high and mighty that you would anyone else. Because we're called to that. So I'll stop talking now, and I'll let Doug pray. Join with me and pray with me as I pray. Father, as I look at um, these sweet brothers and sisters who your son called brother and sister, who your son calls friend, I am humbled stand among such men and women because I know each of them know what they're standing up here means it's a life of sacrifice it's a life, life of serving others it's a life of denying yourself 
It's a life that looks a lot like Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will use not only these people to serve your kingdom people, but you will use their service to grow them into the very image of your son. But that's, that's, that, that's why I'm excited for them. Like, like nothing else they will ever do. Their willingness to step up and say, I will step in and run this race with my Lord for the sake of his kingdom people will conform them into the image of him from glory to glory. So Lord, I do pray your anointing upon them. Lord, I pray that you would. You know what, guys? If you would stand up. You've been sitting a long time. Stand up. And if you're willing to, re just reach your hand out. Reach your hand. Since we're not all going to lay hands, this is your way of saying, I'm going to reach my hand out. Lord, as they did with Paul and Barnabas before they sent them out, as, as was done um, even with Timothy um, to, to anoint him as a leader for the church, Lord, Paul laid his hands on them. We, we lay our hands spiritually on these brothers and sisters. Lord, in the power and the name of Jesus Christ and the spirit that is in our presence, I pray that you would anoint them with a special anointing. Lord, I pray that you would empower them with a special power because we know that they know and we know and you know they'll need it. But Lord, I thank you that you're a God who does just that. I thank you that your spirit at just the right time will give them the words for the questions they don't know how to answer. He, at the just the right time, he will give them the strength when they feel weary in the fight. I thank you that your angels right now in this place are doing war on our behalf. And that our prayers in some mysterious way, and our agreeing together in some mysterious way, is strengthening the mighty army that is all around us. Why? That you would receive glory. All of this, all these people standing up here, all the people that are standing in this room with their arms out, Lord, it is, it is because you would be magnified. That's it. The, the, if it's not that, stop it. But Lord, we know that it is. We know that you are doing a work, and that work looks like working in the lives of individuals and knitting individuals together, and then corporately allowing us the blessing and the privilege of going out there and telling a world that there is a God in heaven who loves them and pursues them relentlessly. Let us be instruments of your grace, Lord Jesus, for the glory and the fame of your name we commit these people to you. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much. Give them a hand, yeah, and have a seat.